You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. We are not going to dig into any more free agents today. Uh, we are going to save those shows for next week. Uh, there is some news to talk about. There was some reports about the Packers' financial situation, and then those reports were changed. And so I want to talk about what that means and, and where that really leaves the Packers financially as we look toward the end of this free agency period. And then what's some recent reports about players who the Packers allowed to leave and some some players who the Packers were apparently interested dovetails with this question about their free agent availability from a financial standpoint. So earlier in the week, Tom Silverstein reported that the Packers were not as flush with cash as he had initially reported and that it looked like they were closer to something like $5 million because of some missing costs that everyone had missed. And frankly, I'd been working off Tom's reporting of the cap situation to begin with. So uh, I trusted that report. And then on Tuesday, we got a clarification from Tom about their cap situation and he amended his report to say that the team actually had 13 million under the cap and that they were planning for about 5 million to go to their draft class and that leaves about 8 million dollars to pursue free agents. Green Bay has consistently liked to have a cushion in that 8 to 10 million dollar range. Um, for the season, for extensions, just to have some wiggle room. If there is a player they want to trade for, they want to have some space for that. There's a player they want to sign, they want to have some space for that because guys are going to get cut. We're going to have post-draft cuts. We're going to have traditional June 1 cuts, guys that get cut after mini camps. We're going to have training camp cuts. Remember, Josh Sitton was cut in August. If another team cuts a player like that, Green Bay wants to be able to be in a position to sign that player. But I think the obvious question is, how does this happen? How do we get these conflicting reports and what do we make of them? Well, I think to start with, here, here is how it makes sense to me. And obviously, I can't speak to the sources in that report or um, you know what the, what the situation was with what Silverstein was hearing from these people, but here's what makes sense to me. You hear from agents, and the Packers are saying to those agents, listen, we only have this amount of cap space. We only have a couple million to play with here, so we, we're not going to budge on this cost. We don't have enough money to give you these incentives. So you think about Bashad Breland. He wants, he got a $5 million all in, 
maxed out with incentives deal. That might have just been too much for Green Bay. Even with $13 million, you take away the five for the draft class. That's eight. If they sign Breland, they're done. $3 million is not enough to do much of anything else because you do want to have some level of buffer. You want to keep some financial flexibility. Now, they still have the out of that $6 million with Tremont Williams on the cap. They could turn that uh, into almost $5 million in cap space by releasing him, but they have to find a worthy player to replace him. So they can't just cut him willy-nilly. So you hear that from an agent or multiple agents who are apparently getting these lowball offers from Green Bay. This is, again, this is my theory on this. And then the Packers see those reports and they go, well, that's not right. We have more space than that. Because what they don't want is, as a, as a narrative from the outside, they don't want other free agents that they might be interested in and that they're trying to play hardball with seeing them cry poverty because they want those guys to believe, well, I can go talk to Green Bay because they have the money to sign me. They don't want other players. They don't want better players self-selecting out of the process with the backers. They don't want players who believe their value is more than maybe it is or more than Green Bay would be projected to have to hear that Green Bay is strapped. They don't want that. The team doesn't want that. And so Tom talks to some people with the team and they say, well, no, here's the reality. Uh, it's actually $8 million that we have to spend. This is what we're allocating toward the draft class. And as a result, this is what we have. And, and it can be more. Now, that is that is the theory to me that has made sense. I've talked to some other people uh, who believe that that is the most likely scenario here. Obviously, I haven't talked to Tom. But that is how this often will work. You get information that can be conflicting because you're hearing from agents, you're hearing from teams, and they're not always on the same wavelength. Obviously, the agents don't know the cap situation of the Packers, but they know what Green Bay might be telling them. And, and Tom, in a follow-up tweet, actually hinted at that, that the Packers were saying this to potential agents and free agent signings, that that was actually the problem here. That was where the miscommunication was. So the agent says, well, the Packers, they don't actually have as much money as they say they do or as has been reported. When the reality is that is a bargaining tactic for the Packers. And there are ways to do it, you know, and still be bargaining in good faith to still be saying, you know, we this is what we think you're worth and, and we have limited cap resources. Obviously, outright lying about it would be you know, a shady business and you hope that they're not doing that. But the reality is teams will often cry poor in a contract negotiation to say, well, listen, we don't we don't have the money. So if you want to play here, don't expect us to pony up for you. What they're really saying is we only think you're worth this money, this whatever this offer is. And certainly they, the team has every incentive to try and, and suppress the value of these players by whatever means they can. And again, you hope they're doing it in an ethical way to say, this is the number. This is the number we think is appropriate for you. And of course, Green Bay is going to have a number that that may be their drop dead number that they're willing to go to. But this is often how negotiation works. Look, we only have a pool of $5 million to spend. Maybe that is as simple as it is. Hey, listen, this is what we're dealing with. We're only allocating $5 million to this to this resource. So we can't give you all five. We can't give you three and a half. 
We can give you two, maybe two and a quarter. And maybe you're willing to go to three. This is just, this is uh, some of the behind the scenes, how the sausage is made negotiating that goes on in these types of, of contract situations. And so it's not surprising to me that we would have these conflicting reports. My assumption and the thing that I think makes the most sense is that the, the competing stories came from agency and team sources. And I think the the amended report is the one that we should be focusing on. That is what I think is likely from the team to say these are the correct numbers. Uh, when you look at spot track and the and the numbers that have been publicly reported and are out there, they also fit with what is what what the amended numbers were. So if you take public data and you add the numbers up, everything that we know about these contracts and you add them up, they also jive with. The, the report from from Tom. So this is the this is the important part of all of this. Obviously, I'm just trying to dig into why this happened and how we got you know these competing reports. But what is important is it sounds like we can say with some level of confidence that 13 million is the number, and it's really more like eight because they do have to allocate some of those resources to their draft class. This the, there have been numbers thrown out there like the Green Bay Packers need. $10 million to sign their draft class. And so even if they have 13, they're essentially cap strapped. That's just not true. They only need about five. And that is even with two first round picks, uh, the first round money in year one, especially is not, is not nearly what it used to be. And, and the Packers can thank the new CBA for that. But I think what we, we have to focus on for our purposes is the, the correct numbers as we think they exist right now. Based on the information we have, $13 million is where they are under the cap. So that does leave them some room if they want to bring back Clay Matthews, which has been reported is, is still on the table. If they want to sign another safety, which is we're going to talk about in the second part of the show, some of the players that they've been interested in and, and what that says about the way that they're building this team. They have the resources to do that. They don't really have the money for another big fish, but they do have the money to make another signing that can come in and make them better this year. All right, so I want to I wanna have a discussion here about where that leaves Green Bay then and, and what they could still be looking for because it was interesting. On Monday, we got a report that the Packers had... Giants free agent safety Curtis Riley in for a free agent visit. He ultimately left without a contract. In the meantime, Jake Ryan signs a contract with the Jaguars and Kentrell Bryce signs a contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that leaves Green Bay with in the safety group, Tremont Williams, Adrian Amos, Josh Jones. And and whether or not you think Jones is truly a safety or a linebacker or some hybrid, not, not really the point. Riley was a starter last year for the Giants, had four interceptions. I posted some numbers about his ability and coverage, allowing a passer rating under 40 when targeted, didn't give up a touchdown. And among guys who played 50% of snaps, only six players gave up fewer catches on a per-snap basis than he did. That said, not a star, not a world beater, but he is a former converted corner and a deep safety. So the thing that I have said over the last week or so, two weeks, is that Green Bay's plan right now is that Tremont Williams is the deep safety. He is the free safety now. 
I want to reiterate because this is important and I still see it get, you know, I still see it wrong a lot, even from people that I think are smart and people, frankly, who should know better. These, these designations, free and strong, are almost irrelevant in Mike Patton's defense. He wants multiple safeties that can play deep, multiple safeties that can cover, multiple safeties that can play in the box, that can blitz, that can do a little bit of everything. He prizes versatility above all else. Adrian Amos is not, let me repeat, not a box safety. More than half his snaps, in fact, more than 60% of his snaps last year were as a deep safety. Fewer than 30% of his snaps last year were were as an in-the-box safety. The other various, you know, miscellaneous, played some in the slot, played some on the boundary, um, covering, played some as a stand-up edge blitzer in blitz packages, did a little bit of everything. So this idea that Green Bay needs to worry about free versus strong is is just not correct. But what you'd like to have is, with Amos, someone who is a little bit more adept in coverage because you would like to have someone who can cover receivers, tight ends, running backs. That's not Amos's forte. He's very good in zone coverage, not quite as good in man coverage. That is where Tremont Williams could theoretically come in. Could they find an option at a cheaper price? So Tremont Williams, $6 million on the cap. They save almost five if they cut him. My guess is the plan starts with Tremont. He is the guy until further notice. If they can find a player that they think is better, that they can get basically for the money that they would save by cutting Tremont, then they can do that. And if they can find someone for the money of, you know, Trey Boston, you know, you only get a couple million, then maybe you can keep Tremont Williams, have him be your nickel safety, where he plays in the slot, he plays a little bit of everywhere, and then, as we talked about yesterday with these corners, then you really can solidify that corner position because you have this backup depth in Tremont Williams. The Packers could also say, if they find a better option, look, we need to save the money. They could also say that as well. So when you look at what Green Bay is looking for at safety, clearly Riley indicates that they would like a starting caliber safety. He was a starter for New York last year, a preferred starter. They haven't been looking at some of these other bigger names on the market. They were not reportedly in on Earl Thomas, not reportedly in on Tyron Matthew. Obviously, got that deal done with Adrian Amos, and what we found out is he was a day one priority. Opening day of the tampering period, that contract was done. And that was so he was clearly a priority. Are they looking to upgrade both positions? Maybe, maybe not. So if they are, and it seems like they are, is Trey Boston an option? Now, he was available last year, and he was available for a song. That is not something Brian Gutekunst was interested in. What would change? Why would that change now? And I know that that's a name that's out there. I have been on the record as saying, I think it makes sense for the Green Bay Packers to draft someone. Get a Jonathan Abram, a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a Nasir Adderley, a a Darnell Savage, a Juan Thornhill. One of these guys that can do a little bit of everything, can cover in the slot, can play deep, can play all over the field and have him eventually replace Tremont Williams in a year. You keep Josh Jones as a roving defender, and you have Amos, who's your jack-of-all-trades 
Mr. Consistent Steady Eddie Dude. Green Bay has a lot of options with how it wants to pursue this position, but I don't want you to get bogged down in this notion that they have to find some true center field safety. They don't. Those guys are not common. It is Hooker in Indianapolis, and it's Thomas. That's it. That's the whole list of dudes that can play true single high safety and that that's what you want them doing. Someone like Derwin James, yeah, he could do it. Minka Fitzpatrick, he could do it. But that's not the best way to use them. And so many teams are playing multiple safeties. They're playing two deep safeties so they don't get beat over the top. They're using their safeties to cover in the slot. They're using their safeties as blitzers. They're using their safeties as de facto linebackers. There's so many ways now to use these safeties that just playing them single high almost negates having them on the field in an impactful way unless they can change games like Earl Thomas can like Malik Hooker can, and and most guys just can't do that. So trying to say, well, they're not a true center field safety, I don't care. I don't care because no one is. No one is. And you almost don't need them to be. You almost don't want them to be. Eddie Jackson is a deep safety. He's not a single high safety. He makes plenty of plays as the second of two deep safeties. He can play the center field. But that doesn't mean you want him doing that every play because if you do, he's not always near the action. If you have him playing deep half, now he's patrolling his half of the field and on deep balls, he has the speed to get to the opposite half. In fact, that is a kind of play that Adrian Amos made, that interception that he had against the Eagles. He was playing deep half on the opposite side of the field, got from one sideline to the other to make that interception against Nick Foles. Those are the kinds of plays you want your safeties being able to make. You don't have to worry about, can they play single high? And the problem with, with this narrative is it is born out of Amos as a box player. He is not a box-only player. Enough. Stop saying it. Stop repeating it. If you see something, say something. If you hear someone, say that. If you see someone, tweet that. Tell them they are wrong. Cite the statistics. 63% of snaps last year as a deep safety. More than double the time he spent as a box safety. And that's it. That's all you need to say. You're wrong. So if you want to be wrong, keep saying it. And keep letting other people say it. But you're wrong. So let's hold each other accountable with this. The Packers don't need a center field safety because Amos is a deep safety too. They want two of those. Now you have to be able to play deep. That's the thing. So when you say, oh, the Packers need a center field safety. No, what you really mean to say is they need a deep safety. They need someone that can cover deep. That's why someone like Nasir Adderley is an appealing target because he can play in deep coverage and he can play as a former cornerback in the slot and cover. Same with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He can play deep. He can play in the slot. Juan Thornhill can play deep. Converted corner can play in the slot. Those are the kinds of players Green Bay needs because Amos is not a man coverage safety. When people say, oh, he's not as good in coverage as HaHa Clinton-Dix, I go, what? What are you talking about? 
he's not the playmaker that Clinton Dix is in coverage, but he is much more reliable play-to-play, much more reliable in zone coverage, and he may not be as good in man coverage as HaHa Clinton Dix. But as a deep safety, it's very apparent to me which one I would rather have on the field, the guy that can consistently be in the right place, that consistently can come up and make tackles, and that will go and make a play on the football, and that will go and try and dislodge the ball from the receiver. The idea that you want a complementary player to Amos is a good one. It's a smart one. But they don't have to be a single high safety. They don't have to be a center field safety. Those guys are not really in this draft anyway because, as I said, they don't really exist anymore because that's just not how teams play anymore. You can't play unless you have Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, and a beastly front four with K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner at linebackers who can cover incredible amounts of space, you can't just line up and play cover three anymore. Offenses are too good. Quarterbacks are too good. Even bad quarterbacks, if you're just going to sit back there and play cover three, if you don't have the the bodies to do that, if you don't have the superstar horses to play that way, quarterbacks are just going to kill you. Even just okay quarterbacks. Matt Stafford is going to pick you apart if that's how you're going to play. You just can't do it anymore. You need to have players that can do everything. And Mike Pettin wants that out of his safeties. He wants guys that can play deep, that can cover, and play in the box. Well, they have a guy who can play deep, play in the box. Coverage is not his forte. Man-to-man coverage. Let's be clear. To get a player who has those abilities. By the way, that is the appeal of having Tremont Williams next to him. It's why I like the fit so much with Tremont. Because he can cover as a nickel safety, if you want to call him that. He can cover deep, we think. We haven't haven't really had him have the opportunity to play next to a guy who knows what he's doing and is in the right place consistently because Josh Jones isn't a great deep safety. So if you're playing next to Raven Green or you're playing next to Josh Jones and you're playing next to Kentrell Bryce, guys who just aren't very good at that particular thing, it's hard for you to show up play-to-play. I'm interested in seeing Tremont Williams have the opportunity play next to Amos, and I think having Williams in the game, in the system already for a year, that institutional knowledge can manifest itself in playmaking. And it can enhance the things Amos does well by allowing him to only have to do the things that he does really well. And vice versa. One of the things that made Eddie Jackson so dynamic as a playmaker for the Bears is Amos did all of the dirty work stuff. He was the one that pursued the ball with force. He was the one that would come up and make tackles. He was the one that played underneath zones so that quarterbacks had to throw the ball further down the field where Eddie Jackson can go make a play. Those are the things where Tremont Williams can thrive. And then you take Williams and you say, okay, Tremont, we're going to put you in the slot and you're going to cover this guy. And it's, he's going to be a tight end or he's going to be a receiver or whatever. And you're in de facto nickel even though he's technically a safety. That is the kind of versatility that you love if you're Mike Patton. So whether or not the Packers want to move on and want to get one of those guys, I don't think Curtis Riley is proof that they think they need to upgrade from Tremont because he is not a top-tier starting caliber guy. I think they thought they could get him for a song and give them some flexible options, that he would be a rotation player, that he'd give you options beyond Raven Green. I don't think that's proof that they feel like they need to replace Tremont Williams. 
But I do think, and, and bringing this back to our earlier discussion about the cap situation, they still have all of their options at safety available, even if they want to pay a higher-priced player should one become available that they like because they can still release Tremon, save that money, and bring in a significant upgrade. I think you have to be looking at a player who is a big-time upgrade over Tremont Williams in order to justify paying him. You basically have to say, if you're the Packers, we're going to swap these guys. Because given the, the, the experience in the system, the way that Williams complements Amos, you are really taking a gamble by replacing him with just anybody, even if you think they might be marginally better. Because number one, then you have to make a decision on the money. And number two, that fit may not be as seamless. And their experience in the defense might be a mitigating factor to their success. So... I continue to believe, even with the money that's out there and available, Green Bay is going to look into low-cost safety depth options, but mostly stay stay put. I think they're mostly going to stand pat and then see what happens in the draft, see what shakes out of post-draft cuts, see what shakes out of training camp cuts, see how this team is looking, and then go from there. All right, one more show tomorrow, and uh, a big thing I want to hit on tomorrow is this idea of a player in the draft who has to help them in year one. I want to explore this idea because it's something I've seen a lot on Packers Twitter. I've, I've heard a lot about it on talk radio. I've seen it written about and discussed. Do the Packers have to worry about drafting a player, even with a high pick, that is not going to give you starter snaps in year one. It's, I think, a particularly apt conversation to have after Green Bay went out and signed multiple edge rushers, an offensive lineman that, that can start at right guard, and a safety because it puts them in a very unique position as we come toward the draft. I mentioned the flexibility it provides them, so I want to dig into this idea a little bit further because there's a lot of arguments out there, a lot of conversations, and I really want to, to, to break it down into the details and and get after this idea so that'll be tomorrow and then we'll be back next week for shows as we head toward the nfl draft pro day information to come players that the packers are going to be targeting we're going to dig deeper into some of these players Um, if there are guys in the draft that you love let me know hit me up on twitter at peter underscore bukowski or at locked on packers let me know who you want to hear about, and we'll take some time and do basically full-on scouting reports on some of these players. I want to take some time and do some guys that are going to be available at 12, some guys likely to be available at 30, 44, 75, and so on, just to give you an idea of the kinds of names that we could be seeing Green Bay taking when their names come up on the clock in April. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Play us in your car. Tell your smart device to play Locked on Packers. We're there, and uh, we want it to be easy for you. So, Alexa, okay, Google, whatever it is, let them know you want to listen to Locked on Packers, and they'll play it. That's why they're called smart devices. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775, to always stay Locked on Packers.